You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfesh, daughter of the fifth house. And I'm Ari, holder of the sacred chalice of Reeks. And I am Amanda, heir to the holy rings of Beta Zed. And today we'll be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Menage a Troy. Uh, Manda, welcome back. You are our first returning guest. I am so excited to be here. This is the episode that got me hooked on Star Trek as <laughs> a property. And wow. um, yeah, I am I am so ready to talk to y'all about this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is uh, the first time we've ever had a returning guest. You are our resident uh, Imzadi uh, expert. Yep. Uh, so, of course, we brought you on for this one. Um you, before we were we started recording, you were mentioning how like you're actually behind on Star Trek. I am. All of the stuff that is airing now, like we are in this sort of new golden age of Star Trek. It hasn't been this great since the like end of TNG, heyday of DS9, early days of Voyager overlap. Mm-hmm, and yeah. uh, I love that, except that I have an eight year old and I have a spouse. <laughs> and they also like Star Trek. Uh, granted, their overlap with me. It's different. You know, Mac wants to watch Prodigy and my husband wants to watch Disco and wants to watch Picard and and they expect me to wait for them. (laughs) (laughs) But their hours are very different from mine. Yeah, I I, I could never do that. I mean, you know, I I do YouTube reviews for stuff. So, like, uh, honestly... My favorite show right now is For All Mankind because it actually comes out like 6 p.m. the day before it's like officially oh, released. Nice. So yeah. I can get my YouTube reviews out like by midnight versus all these other shows. I have to wait until like I figure out, OK, Star Trek is actually probably going to release around 1130 p.m. So I like watch it as soon. I get just some refreshing uh, Paramount to see that it comes up. Oh, man. The first series, the first season of Picard, I flat uh-huh. out told my significant i'm like no i'm not waiting for you i'm <laughs> waiting until midnight i am i am refreshing starting at like 11 10 p.m every single wednesday and i am watching it the moment it comes out and then i binged the first season of disco also without him um i'm not mad that i have to rewatch it but i'm just like i i need this i need this and picard in particular is just they might as well be speaking directly to me so <laughs> yeah. i waiting waiting ever for a Picard episode. It's just like, no, I, I cannot. I love you, but not enough to miss Star Trek. Yeah, exactly. I always think it's fine to watch something without someone as long as you're willing to rewatch it. That's something that Gavesh yeah. is really good at. He like I can't always get out to see the Marvel movies the day they come out, but he will. And then he'll just go watch them again with me. So yeah. like, it's fine. <laughs> well, I, I was just thinking, too, uh, how this whole podcast started because you were just watching TNG for the first time and then you uh, were like, oh, uh, we should do a podcast. <laughs> yeah. And then you had to stop watching for like several months while we waited to get everything ready to start up the podcast. <laughs> I know. I remember I'd be like, I wish I could be watching Star Trek right now. Yeah. Because <laughs> we decided to make this podcast right at the same time that we decided to, um, or I, I got back to work too. So it was like I started yeah. a new job and then we did the podcast and it was like, well, I have to prioritize certain things. Well, hopefully we will get to a point where you can just watch Star Trek without having to do it for, you know, the podcast. But (laughs) uh, 
If you are feeling so generous, head on over to patreon.com slash rest of both worlds for any amount. You will get these episodes up to five days early, and you will also get a spot on our Discord where you can suggest uh, these small talks that we have at the beginning of each episode. And for the $10 tier, uh, we will read your name out at the end of each episode. Nobody's claimed that one yet, so you could be the first. All right. So today we're going to talk about Menage Troy. It is the 24th episode of the third season. It first aired on the 28th of May, 1990. It was written by Fred Bronson and Susan Sackett and directed by Robert Legato. Beta Z is apparently the uh, the planet. Apparently. I mean, <laughs> it's it's one of them. Well, yes. I, I'm saying they they used the Huntington Library Gardens uh, to fill oh, in. Oh, you mean it's Beta the Z. same place. It's oh. one of the two places that they filmed uh, the Edo planet uh, from, from Justice. Uh, okay. The other one... Uh, at, at first, I thought they had only used one spot, so I was like, oh, this is also like where they filmed Starfleet Academy, but that's Tillman Water Reclamation Plant. Uh, oh, okay. That's the one that's got the futuristic building, which we saw in the Injustice, but this is just the Huntington Library Gardens. But they use it a lot. They've used it for other things, too, I think, in the future on TNG. But anyway, uh, Beta Z's the f- planet. I mean, when you're sh- when you were shooting in that era, um, once you had your insurance on file with a place. It's, it's a headache to get insurance on file to shoot anywhere. So I think like once they had insurance on file there and they like knew what the permitting process was, it was probably like, hey, how many times can we reuse this location? It makes sense because you've already got it taken care of. When I used to own the game store, we had a shooting of like uh, one of those Oh, man, I can't remember what the names of them were, but they were like those geek movies that were really popular like 15 years ago that were about like D&D stuff. It took them like four or five days of coming out, measuring our store, taking pictures of the store, going back, coming back, taking more pictures, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I, it takes so much. I mean, sure, Amanda knows this because you've worked in the industry. But like from a from a layperson side, I was amazed at how much it took just to scope out our store for to use for like three minutes of footage. It's a lot. And so, yeah, if you've got a location manager that knows their way around the place, they know the staff who are there and you've got all your your paperwork already in order. Like, yeah. How, can we shoot here every episode? Can we just bring the Enterprise is only going to park at this one planet for the rest of the season. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So I was very excited we were at Beta Z, though. Yeah. I was like, oh, hey, I don't think we've seen the planet yet, right? That was the first time? Nope, that's the first time. Actually, I think this might be the only time we ever see Beta Z in Star Trek. Um, I know it's mentioned, uh, like, uh, actually, uh, something pretty significant happens to it in uh, Deep Space Nine, but I don't think we actually go there. No, uh, we see it. We see it on a holodeck. Oh, well, that doesn't count. But we don't. I don't think we go there again. I think you're right. Interesting. So uh, it starts up, they're doing some conference thing that like the Ferengi were invited to. Trade conference. Yeah, well, because it's a trade conference. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Because Um, capitalism. I gotta say, uh, it feels like the the makeup for the Ferengi really stepped up a notch this episode. Yes. Uh, Either that or just like the performances, because the last time we saw Ferengi was in Captain's Holiday, and it's Max Gredenchik, who we all know can play a Ferengi, but he just looked weird and was doing like a squinty-eyed thing the whole time. Oh, the squinty thing, There's yeah. None of that here. They all look good. Also, one of the Ferengi is Neelix. Yes. Who's Neelix? From Voyager. 
the rat dude. Oh, oh, from Voyager. Yeah. <laughs> he was the uh, the the evil one who wanted to like scramble Luxana's brain. Well, when you're talking about the makeup, that's the thing I noticed too was that they you could actually tell the difference between the Ferengi this time. I didn't mm-hmm. have to be like wonder which one's talking right now because the makeup <laughs> is overpowering their facial expressions. Like there was enough difference between them. I could be like, "Oh, that's the one that's just trying to marry Luxana and that's the one that's trying to hurt her." You know, there yeah. was an actual difference. The uh, Daemon Tog has taken an interest in Loxana. He has this idea that if he has a Betazoid uh, uh, working with him, he can use her telepathic abilities to uh, help him in trade negotiations. And also, he's he's just kind of got uh, Betazoid fever. Yeah. And, of course, Loxana wants absolutely nothing to do with him, calls him a little troll, especially when he offers to buy her. And... Uh, <laughs> I love that line, though. The the like she said something like, let's get th- one thing straight, little man. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> yeah, she's she's putting up none of that. But of course, Luxana is on board. So she has to pester Deanna about why she hasn't found a husband and had kids yet. She's getting old and she wants grandkids. And then, I mean, tiny flash forward and then she like proceeds to completely cock block the situation. Right? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Why did she think she would be helpful? <laughs> Picard is the ultimate wingman. Picard's like, you know, uh, Deanna was smart enough to request shore leave. I'm going to have to kick you down there to get laid. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Jean-Luc is trying his best. Bless his heart. It's hard to be the dad of the ship. <laughs> For sure. Honestly, I remember the first time I saw this episode... I was like surprised when uh, Riker and Deanna kiss because I'm like, well, I thought they weren't together anymore. But I guess it's, you know, just kind of that off again, on again thing. Well, and then but the timing of that kiss was really bad because the timing was, oh, let's make out because we love each other. And we're talking about our lovely memories. And then immediately Luxana walks up and is like, oh, you guys should get together. And they're like, no, no way. We would never get together. I'm like, you guys were just literally shoving your tongues in each other's mouths a few seconds ago. Right. <laughs> Like, Will's whole expression is like, I was working on it, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, yeah, I loved their outfits, though. Oh, my God. Marina Sirtis used to call that her galactic ballerina dress. Oh, I called it her garden party outfit in my notes. <laughs> yes, I, I just like it anytime that they get to wear what is not their uniforms. It's always some sort of yeah. delightful 80s, early 90s freak show of what the wardrobe department like got high and created and it's always so much fun to watch you know they really like having wraps for for men like oh my uh, god i know because uh (laughs) i i I love riker's shirt in this one it's this this bright blue wrap and it actually looks a lot like the one that uh picard wore in captain's holiday it Uh, is very limode in the 24th century Yeah, so, um, (laughs) and, you know, I just kind of like wraps in general, all of the wrap uniforms uh, in in Star Trek I've loved, like the the, the movie uh, era uniforms and uh, Kirk's green wrap, all those are good. Those are good. Agree. Now I want to wrap, I'm hungry. I liked this outfit a lot too. I thought it was really good. Um, I and I had, but the one thing I was gonna say is that it was like made out of silk or something, so he couldn't put his communicator on it. He had it on, and his it was wrist. in his pocket or something. Well, he was like holding it in his hand at one point, talking yeah. to it. Yeah, he actually the first time he tries it, he's like it's like just under his sleeve. And okay, then he's keeping it there, and I think I'm trying to remember if we've seen that before. 
I feel like, yes, Riker in Angel One, when he was wearing the slutty outfit to sleep with the, the president, <laughs> uh, because there's he can't pin it to his chest because his chest is exposed. So he had it he had it on his hand or something. I wish I could remember which Star Trek TNG book this was in because I would like go find it and buy another copy. But there is a scene in a book somewhere, and and don't quote me on that because it might have been a fanfic, um, <laughs> where someone had their communicator on where it was supposed to be when things got hot and heavy and accidentally <laughs> activated it. Oh. So you want your communicator where, like, someone else's body will not be laying on you. So that <laughs> so that it does not like accidentally tell the ship's computer exactly what you're doing right then and or overhear you. I mean, I don't know how many of you have echo devices in your house, but if you mm -hmm. accidentally start talking to that, it like might announce to the whole house like what, right. what you're doing. Yeah. So that that might have been his thing. Uh, just the other day, we had an episode where we were talking about uh, the Echo devices. And as I was editing it, I had to like make sure to edit it with my headphones on because I've got an Echo in my room. And every oh, single time Ari it. said Alexa, I'm just like, ah. Yep. <laughs> that is why I refer to it as Echo devices, because I have ones that yeah. answer to her name and I have ones that answer to computer. Uh, but I don't have any that answer to Echo, so I can refer to them that way. But yeah, so you don't wear your communicator where it might get bumped. In the act you of bump and grind. You don't want to you don't want to put that out to the ship, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, our iPhones are able to recognize accidental presses, right? I feel like in the 24th century they would be able to like there was I remember there's an episode where Riker just like sits on Worf's console to like to talk to somebody and like I remember seeing like a, a an a edit on YouTube where he sits on it and then all of a sudden the Enterprise just starts firing all of its photons. <laughs> but obviously that doesn't happen because it's like, oh no, no, no. No, that's not a finger press. Somebody just put their ass on the thing. I'm not going <laughs> to recognize those inputs. I mean, I feel um, like Starfleet would have to have procedures in place specifically for Will Riker's ass. Like, he, <laughs> he leans or half sits on consoles kind of often. Like, it's, it's sort of a thing. And so either his uniform pants are specifically shielded against, like, haptic <laughs> feedback or, or Starfleet just has procedures in place. If Will Riker is there, then... Just know his ass is going to try to fire your weapons and you need to stop that by whichever means possible. I mean, if I were the quartermaster on the Enterprise, I would definitely make sure Will Riker always has shielded pants. <laughs> I mean, for a multitude of reasons, let's be real. <laughs> for many reasons, yeah. Um, I liked the cantina music and then it came into play later, too. I wrote down, oh, hey, cantina music. <laughs> so I, I noticed that uh, even though like the yeah, I, I called them like wood chimes or something like that. But the way he's playing them, he's just like going down a line playing them, but they're all playing like different notes. And so the, my first thought was, well, obviously, they, you know, the guy didn't know what the music was going to be when he played it. And he's just pantomiming. But the other thought is, well, they could it could not be in a scale. It could just right. be in the order of what the, the, the music is supposed to play. It doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, uh, it could these chimes could be arranged specifically for that song. So, yeah, Star Trek did a really um, bad job with uh, making things, quote, alien. They mm -hmm. everything was like sort of a human in a costume. And this is very much like a xylophone in a costume. And it's it is, it is yeah. recognizable as like they didn't put too much thought into how to make this instrument. They showed up in the props department and said, hey, we need somebody to be able to make 
sort of music on a quasi-percussion device because we're going to have to recreate it with warp static later. So what do you got? And they were like, well, how much time do I have? And they said, you know, well, we, we roll on this scene in 30 hours. And so props did what they could do. And then the actor got there and said, the f*** is this I'm supposed to do? And they're like, just just bang on the drum. Take this wooden mallet, just go bang, bang, bang. <laughs> and try to do it quietly because it will pick up on the boom. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, so we talked about the, the what happens after Luxana turns down the Ferengis when they're in the garden is that they come and kidnap all four of them. Well, three of them, I guess, right? Right, because Mr. Hom is off picking berries, and he's only gone for like five minutes, but she gave him a really big bucket, and he shows up to just an empty picnic with a... It's completely full of berries. Uh, that that man is like he's an uh, amazing... Picker. Yeah, like, <laughs> how, how did he do that? It must have been... I don't know, maybe it was just like a really easy plant to pick. Maybe it's like a, a grapevine, and he could just like slide them all down <laughs> off of boop, 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 right into the, into the barrel. But yeah, no... Uh, they kidnap uh, Luxana and Deanna and Riker, which rookie mistake. First off, yeah. why did they bring Riker? Yeah. Why did they bring Riker? That well, first off, don't kidnap two Starfleet officers. That's just going to have Starfleet on your okay, ass. So that, I had a question about that. The Ferengi aren't in the Federation yet, no. right? Okay, no. so they and they don't do they care about pissing off the Federation, like because they didn't really seem to care about kidnapping both of those people. But at the end, they seem very concerned about pissing off Captain Picard. Well, Captain Picard has a lot of photon torpedoes that he could use to blow up that space croissant. <laughs> space croissant. So I feel like the, the Ferengi decided to bring Riker because they figured Riker would sound the alarm. Like they didn't know that Mr. Holm would oh. be right back. They, it was like, leave no witnesses because Riker knows what he's doing. He knows who they are. He's seen their faces. If they only take the women, well, Will Riker is going to be on them like white on rice and they don't want that. So we might just kill him. We might as well. I mean, yeah, shoot him, but please don't do that because we have many more seasons. Yeah. They didn't have their, their dryer tubes available. They had a little Frankie hand phaser that they were pointing at him later when he breaks out of prison. But, but I mean, finding the dead body of a high ranking Starfleet officer also maybe gonna raise a few red flags there. So just like vaporize him. They can't find anything. Right. (laughs) What are you talking about? So I think that's why they took him. But yeah, so the first mistake, kidnapping two Starfleet officers. Second mistake, having two telepaths in your captivity and holding them separately. They right. can communicate to each other the entire time. So like, you know, while Loxana is pretending to put the moves on Damon Tog to lull him into a false sense of security, uh, Tro- Deanna can like talk to her well, as, as she and Riker work to like break out of the cell and try and send a message to the Enterprise. Yeah, see, the Ferengi are, are not the sharpest tools in the shed. No. Well, they they typically, I mean, uh, for starters, they're probably just not used to dealing with the realities of telepaths because, as Data points out in this episode, uh, they're immune to telepathy because they have a four-lobed brain. And so it probably, even though they're like, oh, well, we want this uh, uh, telepath because of what they can do for us, they didn't really think about, you know, telepathy can also be used to help telepaths with other telepaths not just help us get money (laughs) right yeah because they're probably not thinking about it from that perspective now the way that they break out of the 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 cell is that Riker has been playing chess with one of the guys 
Um, and Riker complains, like, I can't see the board from all the way over there. And the guy gets, like, so frustrated that he eventually does, like, lower the, the force yeah. fields to bring him out. And then it just cuts away. And the next thing we know, he's, like, nursing his hands. Like, man, that Frankie's got an iron jaw. So <laughs> so we skipped something really critical um, that I feel like I need to go back to and mention. And that is that when Damon Tog first tries to leverage Deanna's life to get Luoxana to hang out with him, work with him, etc. He beams Luoxana and Deanna out of their clothes. Oh, we did skip that part. And yes, he does. The, the <laughs> fact that we learned right there in 1989 that one could be beamed out of one's clothing um, yeah. gave rise to an entire subgenre of fanfic. I was going to say the fanfiction writers were would pro probably run with that one. Indeed. Yeah. Now, to Tog's credit, it was not Tog that beams them naked. It was uh, it was Neelix. Uh, yeah. Oh, was Farrick. it? It was. Yeah. Because I thought it was Tog too. No, Tog actually apologized. He's like, "Oh, Farrick, he's not used to dealing with non-Ferengis or whatever." Uh, so he just, yeah. Okay. And, you know, like, they immediately grab some space blankets so they can, you know, cover up their, their naughty bits. Turn but... them into an actual dress because three <laughs> minutes later, Loxana's got an actual dress made out of the space blanket. And I'm like, does she have a sewing machine in there? <laughs> she is. She's a crafty one, that Mrs. Troy. She is. Never going to look ugly because she is Loxana Troy. Right? <laughs> I, I will say, though... It does strike me as a little odd. Um, I mean, I guess it's just the context of it, but like uh, Betazoid weddings are held in the nude, so they're obviously more open about nudity than humans are. That's true. Uh, but I imagine in this case, it's like, well, we're not about to be sex slaves, so they right. probably don't want to be beamed naked into, you know, the, the lair of the space troll. Yeah, that that <laughs> is one of those moments where you can really dissect it uh, looking at, through it through the lens of consent. Like, Betazoids right. will consent to be naked most of the time, but it is all about agency. And in that moment, yeah. they were made naked without their buy-in. And, um, excuse me, Betazoids don't have mm -hmm. a lot of boundaries, because, but that is one of them. So, like, yeah. you undressed me without my enthusiastic ongoing consent. How dare you? Of yeah. course, if we're going to talk about consent, Luxana Troy doesn't really seem to care that much about other people's consent when she's reading their minds or imposing her, her desires onto Deanna. Like, obviously, that does, that's not to say that she deserves to be beamed naked, but <laughs> she's not she's not blameless in this whole, you know, getting people's consent thing. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. <laughs> the last time we saw her, she was literally sexually harassing the entire Enterprise. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Again, she does not have many boundaries, but it is clear that this is one of them. <laughs> yeah. But this is the first time I really, truly liked Luxana. Oh, same. Like, I liked her in this episode. Like, I know she's Luxana and she's annoying or whatever, but like, she was willing to do the thing she needed to do to save Deanna and Riker. Yeah. You know, yeah. and she she was willing to do the really creepy ear stroke thing for a very long time. I really wanted it to stop um, to do I what mean, she needed to do to help Deanna and Riker. It's it's implied they did more than just the ear stroke because like she's like, all right. And like they do the awkward kiss and then like lie down on the bed. And that is exactly how you film somebody about to have sex on TV in the 90s. Oh, I didn't even <laughs> think of that. So, yeah, I think she uh, I, I think she might have uh, uh, done the nasty. To me, it is it has always felt like it was it was sex acts to tog she knew it was sex acts to tog but maybe it wasn't entirely sex acts to her like whatever the ferengi uh -huh. kink is whatever the ferengi appetite is 
Uh, it would be like the equivalent mm-hmm. of letting somebody rub their cheek on your toes if they're a foot person and you're just not. <laughs> like, I get that this is a sex act to you, and I don't love that I am the object of a sex act with you, but but this is not as offensive to me as something that would be a sex act to me. And if it's going to get right. me where I'm going, I'm gonna I'm gonna grin and bear it. I'm gonna put a bag over your head and a flag in your hand and do it for the Federation. Like <laughs> By the way, can we talk about how brilliant it is making Umox a sex act? Because it's something that you can get away with showing on TV. It's just their ears. You're stroking their ears. I mean, you can see that it's a sensual act, but it's not something that showing on TV would be seen as obscene. And so you can just do it. And DS9 like runs hog wild with that. You just see Ferengis getting handjobs all the time. Also, (laughs) they were able to use that to springboard to, I don't know if you know this, the Bajoran um, nose crinkles are considered an erogenous zone. And they, really? they made I, that oh. choice so that no one would touch them because the prosthetics ah. were very fragile. Right. So interesting. The Ferengi okay. prosthetics are like a hat and they are, they're like a lace front wig. They're glued on and they're really solid. So those were touchable. The Bajorans, as a culture that would not walk around touching an erogenous zone, they're like, hey, if we also make this an erogenous zone, that's a reason no one ever interacts with that part of their body, which is great because the latex is really fragile and the spirit gum is melting under the lights and (laughs) we want Ensign Rose's face to stay on her. Wow. Oh, y'all haven't gotten to that episode yet, but... Mm. No, Ensign Rose doesn't show up till season five, so we're a little bit more than a season away from her. I'm but, just saying um, there are moments in Conundrum that, like, that close-up had to be flawless. Yeah. So, going back to Riker escaping from the, uh, the cell, the chessboard that they're playing, it is a 3D chess, but it's not the same one it's that not. we typically uh, see. Okay, good. Because I thought it was weird looking. Because our, our the traditional tri-dimensional chess set has the 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 four floating uh blocks of the, mm-hmm. the, the two by two blocks this one just had three platforms that were four by four each and i was just it, w- it was weird to me because like they had the regular set on 10 forward but then the ferengi just have this cheap looking you know a four by four uh three stack one which I'm like, well, it's, it's not going to play the same. And there was even a line that made me go, what? Because it was like, you're two moves away from being mated. Oh, well, that's a that, that's a standard chess. Term. Is it a chess term? I did not know yeah. that chess term. So yeah, I had not checkmate. and I had not heard them say it before. Mate, check, it's a word. It's a term for mate or for checkmate. Checkmate. Yeah. Oh, OK. And yeah, all of the uh, the the terms that they're using. Um, I think the only thing that they added uh, to like, you know, the moves was like they had like King's level or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, so that yeah. each of the each of the tiers has its own name. But I don't understand why the Ferengi had the cheap version. Why couldn't they just move that prop over from the 10 forward set to the Ferengi ship and use the same set? Well, maybe they don't have access to it because they're not a part of the Federation and only Federation people are allowed to play the fancy chess. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, the, the, the board itself, I, like it was I, supposed to be kind of a Ferengi version of the chess set. They had different pieces and everything like that. I just I don't understand why I didn't have the floating parts because it just ended up looking cheap. I think that yeah. was the point. I think um, Damon Tog is not like so much the best at this and i think the point was to make his ship look less well appointed than a galaxy class starship i think it was to stratify the surroundings and so like it can make sense yeah that makes sense i mean that's that's why i would have done it because 
if I were the props master, I would absolutely be reusing the same chess set. I would build one and it would be gorgeous. And like, this is the one and we're going to move it around. Right. So the, the intentionally built less fancy chess set, I think was really there to show like, these guys don't have it as good. Um, <laughs> the, and they're over here. I mean, I got it. You guys have done the price. And so I can say this out loud without spoiling anything. They're over here stealing a page from Devanani Rawls book anyway. <laughs> they're like, hey, we have a telepath. We're going to do better than if we don't have a telepath. Like, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. This guy just got caught and it didn't end well for him, but he's still out there doing business. And so we go do business like him. Like <laughs> they're just trying to get a leg up in this world, like a stubby little <laughs> Ferengi leg up in this world. And it's not going well for them. No, it's not. So once Riker's punched the guy out, by the way, like we never see that guy again once he's punched out. Did Riker kill him or do Frankie just take really long naps? I, I wondered the same thing, but he didn't have like a weapon, right? So he would have had to punch him. He punched him. He says, oh, that Frankie's got an iron jaw. Like, and, and then they just like leave him on the floor or something while Riker tries to send a message to the Enterprise. Maybe their jaw is very sensitive. Okay, okay. That's what I was gonna say. So we know that the ears are a sensitive, erogenous part of their body. Imagine being knocked oh, yeah. in the cranium and also the testicles at the same time. Oh, that's, oh, that's true. true. That's true. Yeah. If he fell on his ear, that could put him out for quite a while. So I, I think he's out because he is he got knocked pretty hard and also in a very sensitive spot. So even if he came to, he would be writhing on the deck for a little while. And the doctor is clearly busy. Torturing Lawaxana. <laughs> you know, that just makes me think this now just now that I'm thinking about it is really unfortunate. But th this is forward to Deep Space Nine. But I'm just thinking of a scene in which Quark and Rom's mom grabs them by the ears and they start writhing in pain. And like, obviously, like, I mean, like human parents will do that to kids sometimes grab them by the ear. But she's grabbing her kids by the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. So I want to talk about the B plot because it's actually really important right where we are. So okay. the, the B plot is that apparently Wesley has finally finished his written exam and he's ready to do his oral part of his exam. And so there's this also this thing where he's like, well, we got to get back to Beta Z. We got to get him on the ship. He's got to go do his oral exam and he can't. And But then at the last minute, when Riker sends out this secret message, he figures out what it is and doesn't go. Yes. Right. Yeah, one of the reasons I love this episode, yes, it gives me all, like, the Imzadi feels, but it's a Wesley was right episode. And, like, yeah, I love quality Wesley content. And also, spoiler alert for, like, ten minutes later in the episode, Wesley gets his big boy pants in this in this. Episode. I didn't know that was coming. I actually cried. I didn't know it was coming. Like, I, I, I knew he wasn't going to go off to Starfleet in third season. But I was like, oh, he got his outfit and he got promoted. And I like I was waiting to get come over here and record with you guys literally like walked over here as soon as I finished <laughs> the episode. And I'm like, Wesley got his uniform. Yes, yes. <laughs> Wesley got his big boy pants. And it's very, very exciting. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I wailed when it happened in real life. Yeah. And Gene Roddenberry made sure that this was like a, a full actual thing, because not only was Wesley made a full ensign, but... Gene uh, was uh, in the uh, army uh, during World War II. He was a, a pilot and he gave his second lieutenant bars, which would be the army equivalent to an ensign. Uh, he gave them to Will Wheaton heart. as part of the ceremony of him being promoted to ensign. And not only did he just he, he made like a, a full ceremony of it. He invited Colin Powell, who was at that time the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to the set 
for this ceremony. Yeah, so like it was cool. a big proper thing. Well, that oh, you know what I just realized? That's why he was wearing the episode like three or wearing the outfit like three or four episodes ago when they went in the other time travel bubble. Yesterday's Enterprise. Because they probably were like, well, we're going to be promoting him to Ensign costuming. Can you get the costume ready? And I already had it. Because remember how we were like, oh, Wesley's in his Ensign uniform. Well, you know? that's actually um, it's a little different, though, because uh, they had different uniforms in that episode they did they, they had oh a, that's right their uniforms are slightly different they 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 had like a, a a turtleneck collar it wasn't open in the front so it would have had to have been a different piece interesting okay but they were probably the same pants um a lot of the the tunics especially those one-off shirts but also like what the the background players were gonna wear that stuff came in small medium and large so they would they would throw it on the actor if it wasn't great. Maybe they'd pin it. Maybe they'd like take a tuck in it because it was for an OCP. But like that stuff came in small, medium and large. They made three sizes. You picked one. Right. Well, and also they were still using like they, they took off the piping from like the season one and two uniforms. And we're still throwing that on on background extras for pretty much the rest of the series. Yes. Just when they needed more uniforms. Like, all right, well, it looks close enough. You're going to be in the background. Nobody's going to notice. Right. Yeah. I know, well, I was very excited to see him turn into an ensign. I was like, yay. And like like you said, Meta, it is a Wesley is Right episode. And that made me happy, too. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing is Riker isn't able to get access to uh, actually like the communications because that needs uh, uh, Tog's uh, authorization code. And Loxana almost gets his authorization code before Neelix shows up. He's like, she's using her feminine wells on you to gain access to the whole ship. I'm going to put her in the brain destroying machine. I know, right? <laughs> Also, um, from that moment, Arcturian Fizz became like love potion number nine, funky cold Medina of the Star Trek fanfiction universe. I just need you to know that. That's anybody trying right, to get laid in fanfic was like, would anybody like an Arcturian Fizz? And we're like, well, we know what you want to do later. That's right, because that was the pretext she used for getting the code. She's like, oh, I want to make an Arcturian Fizz. Oh, we don't have the ship's replicator. Oh, well, I can program it. I just need your right? access code to the entire ship. And he's, you know, post-coital, he's like, oh, yeah, sure, here, here's the whole thing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but uh, Riker finds a system that doesn't require Tog's uh, authorization code, which for some reason has to do with the warp core, which I was immediately, I was just like, uh, no, no, anything to do with the warp core should require Tog's authorization. That is a think. highly sensitive. Yeah. Anyway. But it's less the warp core itself and more like the like the muffler. It's like, it's not the actual <laughs> exhaust system. It's like the muffler. And so, like, Fair like enough. in your car, the muffler is just kind of exposed. And if someone wants to fool with your muffler, they can just, like, walk up to your car and, like, put a nail in your muffler because it's just right there, visible. Or a banana. Or, or a banana and your ta- or a potato in your tailpipe. Or, uh, you know, uh, the tap out some wood chimes on right? it. Right? So it feels like he he found a way to play the muffler like a drum. Um, yep. And it was, it was such a non- thing that like you wouldn't bother like the person that installed it was like oh put a password on this are you kidding me it's the muffler <laughs> it doesn't need a password it's the muffler fair enough i'll, I'll accept your uh your <laughs> there. <laughs> so once they do that you know the enterprise is able to track them down of course now the enterprise actually like they had been away looking at a stellar nursery that was like disrupting their communications for like a couple days beforehand that explains you know why Riker and troy were being held captive so long you know, it's just handy little, oh, well, let's send them away to somewhere where nobody can talk to them. That way we can let the episode happen. 
Yeah. Because otherwise they would have been looking on them in like five seconds. And um, once the uh, Enterprise shows up, Loxana actually like bargains with Tog. She's like, I will work for you so long as you let uh, my daughter go uh, and, and Riker. And so they beam over. But then uh, she starts playing to Jean-Luc on, on, on the view screen. And Deanna's <laughs> like, oh, uh, sh- she wants you to play along. You need to act like you need her. And yeah. Uh, uh, good, good old Jean Luc. He starts reciting every Shakespearean sonnet he has memorized. He can and think he has of, them all I know. Memorized. So good. And he, there's a point where, um, when he is he is doing the Shakespeare and the countdown, when like Captain Picard turns his back to the view screen and like does a number, and then like starts the next piece of poetry, where you can see Sir Patrick Stewart can barely keep it together. There is this grid. <laughs> it was so it's good. So good. It was so good. Like I was laughing so much. I said that screen. I took a picture of him pointing at the screen and like yelling and sent it to you. I watched it to all of you guys actually, and I was like, I'm dying. Yes. This is so good. I mean, you've got to thank that writer's room from day I one. Know. Like we have an award-winning Shakespearean actor playing the captain, and every time they mm-hmm. snuck a tiny Shakespeare reference in anywhere, they're like, we're doing this because someday we'll get a moment to let it pay off. Someday we're going to be able to. <laughs> and then they're like, wait, here it is. Here is our payoff. Here is where we get to take advantage of the fact that we have one of the world's leading Shakespearean actors doing spaceship acting eight shows a week. Let's let's <laughs> come on. Where? Dig deep into your high school English classes and let's find the best of Shakespeare and put it in his hand because it will be gold. My love is a fever. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) it's some of the, it's like probably three of my favorite minutes of television ever made. Like, it was so so good. good. Even, well, and I don't know if this was Marina Sirtis' acting, but she also thought it was amazing. I think she was just laughing like with the rest of us because she was (laughs) trying so hard to like, like she's, there's one point. Where she just gets this smile on her face. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm with you. (laughs) Well, Riker's got an impish grin the entire time. I mean, you know, Jonathan Frakes, he's really good at the impish grin. But obviously, in character, Riker's eating it up, too. It's (laughs) delicious. This is actually, this is the scene where that that meme image of Picard with his hand out going, why the f*** whatever. That's where that came from. Oh, that's so I meant to ask. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, he convinces Tog that he's going to blow the, that that he'll he'll let uh, Luxana Troy die by blowing her up if he can't have her and so Tog's like oh no no beam her over right, right, right now right now right now and honestly like when he did I was like half expecting her to beam onto the bridge naked <laughs> oh my gosh that would have been so good. much more funny that would have been hilarious yeah <laughs> but that's funny <laughs> uh, she is very happy to continue playing up the oh Picard you want me because you know she's a telepath she's a very good telepath and she has been insistent the entire time she's been on the show that Jean-Luc has a thing for her. So there's got to be a morsel of truth there, even though he is not comfortable with it. It's something he's keeping repressed deep down. Yeah, because he's like warp nine. Yeah, right? <laughs> How fast can we get her home right now? And and I mean, we don't warp nine very often. Like that's that's no, I can't. I think we've only done it like two or three other times in the series that I've seen. You, you yeah. do it when you're running away from Q or the Borg, basically. Yeah. Or <laughs> Troy, apparently. Like, <laughs> but it's just it's just golden, and and you think again, like it's you think that's the climax of the episode. You think that's the end of the episode. Whatever denouement we're gonna get is not gonna matter. And then it's Wesley's promotion, and you're like, and then it's Wesley's how 
promotion. How, how yes. Could this, this episode have gotten better that way. That is how this episode could have gotten better. And it, it, yeah, this episode has everything. I it love was in so it. good. No, I wasn't expecting it because, you know, I thought, oh, after he got done with the Shakespeare thing, it was going to fade to a planet and it would go to black, right? Like they right? usually do. A little do. captain's and log, then all of a, sudden, a little closing credit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden we're looking at Picard in his ready room or that's where yeah. he was, right? The ready room. Yeah. And then Wesley comes in and, you know, at first you think he's kind of reprimanding him for not having gotten his oral exam done. And then he's like, well, no, the Academy will wait. We, it's our benefit. And then I'm like, okay, so they're just having a moment. And then all of a sudden he's like, but I cannot <laughs> I in good conscience I'm gonna promote you. Allow you to yeah. wait for the Academy. Yes, yes, John Luke. Yeah. Give it to me. Yes, Talk it to me, yeah. John Luke. I love it. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It was great. It was a great ending to the episode. Yeah, it's you know, it's actually kind of weird because like Wesley is gonna be leaving the show in about 10 episodes from now, too. Um, for some reason in my head, I had thought he was the full ensign for longer on the show, but uh, no, he's he's gonna be gone soon, yeah. And that that wasn't that, that wasn't story reasons. Oh, yeah, no, 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 that that was that was Will reasons, that was not story reasons. <laughs> I mean, the way they wove the story and the writer's room was really good, and you could pretty much throw any problem at them and they would find a way to work around it. Gates McFadden went through an entire pregnancy. And kept shooting, and like you never saw her baby bump. Well, she's got the uh, the um, that that uh, blue coat, and it got bigger so and bigger and bigger every episode. It, yeah. And then also, they just they're like, "How do we shoot this in a way that doesn't draw attention to it?" And it totally worked. Um, so yeah, when when Will Wheaton, uh, which season is she pregnant? Because I want to try to look for. <laughs> um, what season? I think it's season four. Okay. Well, because I always I have a joke because uh, I'm not really a joke. I mean, every it's a joke in the show, but I love in Brooklyn Nine Nine how like for all of the time that Amy is pregnant, it's like they're just trying to find funnier and funnier ways to to like have her play being pregnant or not being pregnant, and then all of a sudden in one episode they're like, "All right, you're going to play a civilian that's pregnant." <laughs> And they just bring her out in her full baby belly and it's supposed to be a fake baby belly. I think that, yeah. So, I mean, I like when they do that stuff in shows. That reminds me of uh, on uh, How I Met Your Mother. Uh, there was a season Allison Hannigan was pregnant. And oh, so the for, joke. For most yeah. of the season, she's just like sitting at the bar. So the table's covering her belly or she'll just be, you know, she'll have something in, in her lap or something like that. But then there is like just a cutaway gag to her at a, a hot dog eating contest where she just has the belly <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah that's right yeah, yeah okay so it's next season it's season four episode 23 is the yeah. host and that is the one in okay. which she is the most pregnant and the most prominent uh story-wise exciting um, i'm excited to see <laughs> wait that's the host that's that's interesting because uh that's the one where she has a lot of sex so <laughs> yes she gates, hearing gates mcfadden talk about it when she's like i had this big love episode and i was seven months pregnant and it was <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that which is how i remember i'm like i'm looking up the episode that i remember her talking about to figure out when it was but yes she the this writer's room is great and when um when will wheaton needed to tell the production to f off um they found a way to make it work story-wise. And then later on, they were willing, they were able to talk him into coming back for a couple of appearances. And oh my God, the first duty. So good. Oh, I, I keep saying that that uh, uh, Wesley's best episodes are after he left yeah, the show. Yeah, yeah uh, you've said that a few times. So we, yeah. we quote the first duty in our house 
pretty regularly. It's a it's a good quotable episode. I'm looking forward to when we get to that one. It's so Me good. too. It's so good. And again, <laughs> the fanfic, y'all. The fanfic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember something I meant to bring up. Um, because you know how uh, Luxana's like, oh, I want children. She's doing that typical give me a grandchild yeah, thing, yeah. you know? Did she apparently Deanna did not tell her about Steven Universe then? Appar- I don't think so. Because she did have a child. She That's had that experience. Right. She did. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if that it certainly never happened on screen, and I don't remember it happening in a book. Okay. Maybe Deanna decided that wasn't something her mom needed to be a part of, and it was too personal to her, because I could see that, you know? <laughs> well, and, and uh, of course, Deanna doesn't know this at this point, but that could probably bring up some, some painful memories for Luxana, because uh, she's lost yes. a child uh, that... We'll we'll find out about that. I had later. that spoiled looking at memory alpha okay. earlier. Yeah. Well, that's actually good because that means we didn't just spoil it for you. Someone else did right. that. It's yeah. not our fault. Yeah, I was trying to figure out if her and Gene Roddenberry divorced or if he died, and yeah. he died. Yeah. yeah, Deanna doesn't. Yeah, she doesn't really bring up the fact that she had a kid basically ever, except like briefly in uh, the Offspring when uh, Picard is upset that Data is calling Lal his child. Right, and she's just like, "Well, you've never been a parent," and that's like basically the most acknowledgement that we get that while well, she was a parent for like twelve hours. Twelve hours. <laughs> that's all you need. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> I came to this episode, it had already aired, so I was, it was like a year after it aired originally, and my friend Matt was like, you would really like Star Trek The Next Generation, even though you don't like the original series that much, and I'm like, okay, I'll watch one episode because you told me to, and the episode I saw was Sins of the Father, and I was like, this is not for mm. me, and he went, yeah, yeah, we, we picked the wrong day, let me look at the TV guide, <laughs> because that was the thing back then. It came on, Star Trek right. came on five nights a week in my hometown back then. There were syndicated episodes Monday through oh, Friday, yeah. and then a new episode came on, like, Sunday nights. And he's like, let me check the TV guide and let me pick a day. Let me handpick an episode for you to watch that I think you'll like. And I'm like, okay, this was the episode. <laughs> he knew you pretty he, well then. Yes. Yeah, we are still <laughs> friends. Uh, we still talk. Yeah, we were writing partners all through middle school. Like, he, he knows me very well. And he picked this episode and he's like, look, it's got the romance angle. And I know you like Will Wheaton and this is going to be an episode <laughs> for you. And um, yeah, well, sure enough, <laughs> I think I wrote my first <laughs> fanfic like four days later um, and I've never looked back. <laughs> have I ever mentioned what my first fanfic was on the podcast yet? I don't know if I have. I don't think you've mentioned anything. So about I'm not, I don't write a ton of fanfic. I don't. Um, but I was young and Jurassic Park came out and I uh-huh. basically wrote Jurassic Park 2. Uh, yeah but in it ellie and um the doctor had gotten back together or whatever and she was pregnant i don't know i was 14 we're not we're not gonna judge my 14 year old fanfic i I was 12 and everyone's pregnant i was 12 and yeah no it's it's fine it's fine i still have (laughs) one of my first fanfics like my first long form fanfic um it's in my garage Mm -hmm. it was in a blue vinyl three ring binder full of loose leaf paper that I would handwrite and then pass around school to everybody that wanted to read it. And then after everybody was caught up, they'd give it back to me to write another chapter. 
And like we did this That's for awesome. the entirety of ninth and tenth grade. And you know what? It's really bad. <laughs> but they say the first million words are just for practice. And so I'm just glad I started early. Yeah, I know. Thank goodness, right? Because I did a I did a count at one point. I counted up all the nanos. I counted up all the various things I've written. I went back and I was like, I estimated what some of the words and the writing I've done in like school papers was and such. And I figured out like five years ago, I hit my million words, but it took me forever to get there, you know? Wow. And yeah, because I think that's Bradbury that said that your first one. One million words or crap yeah. or something like that. They're just, I'm paraphrasing, they're just for just for practice. Yeah. And like Claudia Gray was like, I'm very fortunate that most of mine were about Mulder and Scully kissing. And I'm like, I read that. <laughs> I was I read that. I was on MSR when you were writing on MSR. Oh my God. I've been your fan since nineteen ninety five. That's so cute. And then, I mean, I've run D&D games that were basically fan fiction because I'd set them in different fantasy worlds that I'd read about and stuff. But other than that, I haven't read or written, sorry, a bunch of fan fiction. But I think it's so interesting when fans engage with the with the creative license that way. You know, I used to be kind of judgy about it. Does everybody remember that? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I got over it. (laughs) I I seem to remember you might have said something about. Uh, it, 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 you might have been a little judgy about people using Nano to write fan fiction. I was about to say you were when it yes. came to NaNoWriMo. Yeah. Like this is not the time for that. And the thing is, I even was like that. I was writing two hundred thousand words of fanfic a year, but I was like, not for Nano. <laughs> Nano is for original fiction, and I also wrote some very bad original fiction during NaNoWriMo. Some of my b- worst writing happened during Nano, but some of my best writing happened during Nano. So I'm gonna say Nano is for writing and whatever you want to write. Is good. Yeah, is I'm nano anarchy. I'm go for way it. <laughs> over myself at this point. Um, number one, I was I was so much more serious before I was a professional, if that makes any sense. Right. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do know what you mean, because once I owned a publishing company, like the whole like the mask was taken off and I was like, oh, this is just a horrific industry. <laughs> I can be more fun right? with this than I need yes, to be. Please. Please do what makes you happy. Please do what makes you happy. Yeah. I mean, one of the most successful, like, book franchises of the 21st century is fan fiction fiction of Twilight. I know. (laughs) Her fan fiction name is Blue Eyes White Dragon. (laughs) Come on. I hate Twilight so much. (laughs) I do, too. I do, too. It's uh, like I actually prefer Fifty Shades because at least there's some consent on the page. Right, I know a little bit. It's not good. It's not good. In fact, it's very bad. And everyone I know who's like involved in fetish communities, they're like, "Don't read that. It's terrible." But but at least at some point, someone verbally consented. But it took the pressure off Twilight. It really did. Twilight was terrible. (laughs) Twilight was bad. Non-con, dub-con with teenagers. That's the other thing. At least in Fifty Shades, they're adults. At least Twilight gave us Robert Pattinson and um, uh, Kristen Stewart. So, like, you know, that's thank true. you. Nobody uh, hates Twilight as much as the cast of Twilight. That's true. <laughs> and while everybody would like to complain about Kristen Stewart, she is one of my biggest crushes and I can't okay. get over it. She's a national treasure. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure nobody hates her anymore. I don't think anymore. she's a fantastic uh, actress, but God, I would jump in front of a bear for her. Right. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I would also still to this day not only jump in front of a bear for Will Wheaton, but also the woman he married, which if you had told 12-year-old me that someday I would be like (laughs) Mm -hmm. friendly and on speaking terms with the hot, tall, blonde woman Will Wheaton marries eventually, I would not have believed you. 
But um, you probably wouldn't believe the internet existed and how it works either. That's true. But most definitely, I adore Anne and she is fabulous. And I hope she likes this episode because Wesley getting his big boy pants is momentous. It's a big episode. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Ari. And I'm Gayfish. And I'm Amanda. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe and consider writing a review in your podcast service. We're on Twitter at Rest Both Worlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash restofbothworlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.